0: Hello and welcome to the Eastman's Predator Pros Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Nimnick, and I survived the holiday seasons. Hopefully you guys did too. Um, you know, it is January 1st. I'm recording this, so happy new year to everybody. Um, hard to believe it. We're halfway, a little over halfway through what I call my coyote season. Um, man, it's, time's been flying by. Coyotes have been dying. Hit a little bit of a lull um, here, which is is pretty common. But, uh, you know, the grind continues you know, took took about a week off from doing classes and guided hunts and, you know, filming and stuff like that. I usually try to keep, you know, that 10 days through Christmas and New Year's open so I can have make sure have plenty of time to take my boys out. So I've had a few fun hunts with them over the last week, uh, and some friends that I just don't get a chance to hunt with very often, you know, because I'm so busy with other stuff. So it's been great, you know, so hopefully you guys are out doing the same right now. Um, taking that time to, to get after the coyotes, you know, I know some of you are probably, uh, getting ready to start ice fishing and, you know, some stuff like that. So hopefully you still, still keep after the coyotes, you know, even though it might be a struggle for you at some point, um, you know, I'm actually just, I, you know, I haven't done any thermal hunting up to this point. Um, you know, that's, you know, the second half of the season is usually when I'll break up my thermal and start doing a little bit, going to kick that off out at, uh, Rick's in Eastern Kansas here this week to be filming these last stand episodes. So that's going to be awesome. Um, but yeah, then, then I'll do a little bit, you know, I always like to go through day hunt my stuff, you know, that's where my heart always is, is, is the day calling. So, uh, but I do, do dip myself into this night hunting stuff every now and then. So I know my boys really love it. You know, I think it's because they love their video games, I think, you know, but, uh, but yeah, nonetheless, the season continues, you know, but uh, before we jump into this Q and a, podcast. I figured this would be a good time of year to do this. You know, a lot of guys are having some questions about some struggles and sound sequences and things like that. So, uh, you know, I'm going to talk about that hopefully and, and answer some of those questions and kind of get everybody on the same page there. If there is such a thing, but uh, before we do that, I need to thank the sponsors of this episode, which are Hornady and lucky duck predator calls. Um, you know, I, I've been getting questions about that, that 22 arc, um, no, I haven't jumped on board yet. I probably won't, to be honest with you. Um, I'm just, I'm just in love with my 53 grain V maxes out of my 223. You know, I mean, to be honest with you, I don't know, I don't know how they, uh, any round could be better than that, honestly. Um, you know, the problem with me switching to a 22 arc is I had to buy a whole new rifle, whole new barrel. Um, you know, right now, I think 60, those 67 grain bullets, um, would be as small as I could go. Um, you know, so I'm not, I just, I'm not gaining anything. So, you know, I, maybe you're the type of guy that wants to, I, I'd love to hear what, you know, if, if you are, if you do have a 22 arc and, uh, you know, are shooting it, I'd like to, I'd like to hear, you know, maybe what some of your thoughts are on it. Um, and, uh, you know, go from there. But, you know, for me, for the time being, I'm going to, I'm going to stick to my 53s, man. Um, I'm a big fan boy of those 53s, as my boys would tell me. But, uh, uh, you know, I've shot a few coyotes in the last month that, you know, whether they're running coyotes or just misjudged the wind or the distance a little bit, just didn't hit them perfect where I wanted to. I found them. I found dead coyotes within 75, 80 yards of where I hit them. And to me, it's it's because you shoot a good bullet, man, and, and that bullet does what it's supposed to do. The terminal ballistics are great. Um, so, yeah. <clears throat> we'll see if you're in the market though. Uh, you know, maybe you're you know converting over to an AR 15. You know, maybe you haven't let anybody bad mouth a 223 to you too bad uh, and you're willing to give it a try. Uh, man, I'll tell you what, you know, those 53s I run a one a lot of people ask me this, you know, I'm running that Daniel Defense MK12. It has an 18 inch barrel, one and seven twist. Um, and those 53s out of that gun, you know, I shoot, you know, suppressor on there. I mean, it, it's like dime-sized groups of smaller with that gun, and so. Um, Beth, the best thing to do is just is to get your gun and, and buy a box and shoot them. I mean, not every gun's gonna like every type of bullet, you know. Unfortunately, so, but hopefully yours does like those, because I'm telling you, for shooting coyotes, you will love them. Uh, but uh, but yeah, if you want some more information, want to look up ballistics, maybe you're looking into that 22 arc. maybe you just want to get some information on these 223 uh 53 grand v you can go over to hornady.com and you can look up all the the ballistic data there. Now with Lucky Duck predator calls, um you know, I've been bound, I get the question people ask me this, what what's your favorite call? For me, I if I had to pick, if somebody said you can only use one call today, what would it be? I would probably pick the Revolt. And and the reason for that is this is I'm a creature of habit and you know, when I started when when the Revolt the The revolution really is when it started, and the revolt came out. You know, I used that remote for what four or almost five years straight. So I I have that remote memorized like the back of my hand, and I like the size; it's a little bit smaller. Then when the roughneck came out and the supervolt, obviously they have the new the the new remote, the bigger remote. You know, bigger screen, bigger buttons, backlit buttons, and all the stuff. And and trust me, I get it why. You know, those are all, the features are on that call. But I do use the Supervolt off and on, um, but I don't use the Supervolt all the time. You know, I use my Revolt probably just as much. But really, the only reason is because I just feel more comfortable using that remote. And I and I day hunt 99% of the time, so I don't really care about the backlit buttons. Um, you know, so so yeah, I mean, that's that's the great thing about the Lucky Duck Predator line that they have, is they have an e-call For basically everybody, you know, whether you're just wanting something, you know, low end just to get you going, whether you just do the Rebel or the Riot, um, you know, maybe you don't really care about the call spinning, uh, more of a night hunter, you know, you're like, you know what, I just want the roughneck, it has the volume, it has the clarity, it has all the Rick sounds, it has the remote with the backlit buttons, that's really all I care about, you know, maybe you're just a a day hunter like myself, and you're like, you know what, I don't really care about the backlit buttons, Um, I just... uh, I'm, the Re- revolt's good enough for me. Um, and then maybe you're like, hey, you know what? I want the biggest, baddest thing out there. That's why I want the super revolt. You know, it has the remote, has plays the two sound at once. Um, the thing you have to realize too is the revolt, the Roughneck, and the super revolt all have the same speaker and amp in them. So volume-wise, clarity-wise, you're all gonna you're gonna get exactly the same thing out of all three of those. Um the super revolt is a little bulkier than the revolt. Um, just because of the way that the handle's made on it and it has that rubber housing around the entire call to help protect it, just to beef it up. You know, we're pretty rough on stuff. So that was the reason behind that, was just to, hey, let's beef this call up a little bit um, to where, you know, maybe you're not breaking them as easy and things like that. But, you know, they all run off the the same 10-cell, you know, battery pack. They all run off the lithium rechargeable battery pack that the Lucky Duck sells. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, so, yeah, I, I get it it's not because I think the super volts not good. Uh, the roughnecks not good. That's why, no, that's not the reason. I just, (laughs) the revolt does it for me. And the biggest thing is I've just the, the remote for me is I've used it so long that to me, it's where it's at, you know? So, so yeah, you know, if you're in the, in the, in the market to, to upgrade, maybe you're looking for something a little bit different. Like I tell people, man, proof is in the pile, you know, um, you know, do, do your research, do your homework, you know, and uh, and you'll find the right call for you. Um, but uh, like I said, you can go over to Lucky Duck's website, which is luckyduck.com. You can go over to their Predator Predator page, and you can look at all these e-calls. You can compare them, see whatever, you know, all the options and everything that, that's there. And uh, you can make your own decision or just watch a few of the last stand videos. Um, and and those might make your mind up for you. So uh, but like I said, head over to luckyduck.com. You can see uh, there are a full line of Predator e-calls that they do have to offer. Well, before we jump into a few of these questions, I figured it'd be a good time to kind of update you kind of where I'm at on my season. Um, you know, we just hit the new year, obviously. Um, you know, a lot of people kind of get into those mid-season lulls, you know, and it happens to me as well. Um, you know, you got to really look at where we're at in the in the season right now. You know, in most places, guys have been hunting coyotes now for almost three months, maybe longer in some places, obviously the coyote hunting never stops. So, uh, they've been getting hunted, you know, even harder and longer at this point, but you know, where, you know, if you live in areas where it's more seasonal hunting, um, you know, Hey, we're, we're three months deep into this. So not only have there been lots of coyotes killed off. And I think what you have to realize is in October, that's the most coyotes we're going to have all season. This is in October when you start hunting, um, so there's less coyotes to call in now, um, because there's been coyotes getting killed off. So that alone is going to make your success rates drop, um, to some extent, some a lot more than others. And obviously there's lots of variables there, depending on, you know, the areas you have to hunt, how much you've been hunting those areas, how much other guys have been hunting those areas. So, you know, that's why you get into these mid season laws. And, you know, when I try to set up my rotation of properties and things like that, you know, you know, I try to come through once, you know, in that October, November time frame, you know, maybe first part of December. And then as I hit December and January, I'm trying to make it back through those properties for a second time now that they've sat hopefully for, you know, six, eight weeks. Um, a, for the coyotes that maybe we didn't get killed to to forget a little bit. Um, and and B, hopefully maybe new coyotes move in. And, and that's kind of what you're hoping for. But really that's dependent upon the carrying capacity and the land that surrounds your areas you have to hunt. If there's no, if there's not an excess amount of coyotes in the places that surround your places, then you can't expect that there's just going to be this abundant supply of new coyotes moving in all the time. You know, there's obviously external factors like feedlots and dead pits and hog barns and all this kind of stuff that draw coyotes in quicker, at least new coyotes in quicker. But you know, obviously not every place is like that. So you know, if you started off with 10 coyotes on a place and you killed five of them your first time through, you know, we can just do some simple math problems. I mean, yeah, there's probably five coyotes left. That's if nobody else has killed anything or if none of those other coyotes have died off. If you're lucky, maybe a couple coyotes have moved in. So now you're dealing with six or seven coyotes if you're lucky, you know, and then as you progress into the later in the winter, you know, now where you kill off a few more coyotes and now we're dealing with, you know, maybe four or five coyotes in the area when there were 10 back in October, November. And now those coyotes pair up a little bit. So now instead of single four, single coyotes running around, you have one pair of coyotes and, and maybe two singles. So the chances of setting up where the coyotes are are just that much uh, less. So, you know, it gets tough. I mean, and I think people think there's some magic answer, um, hunting coyotes this time of year and it's really just persistence you just got to go hunt you have to just understand that realistically you know your percentages are going to drop as far as coyotes per stand that you call in you know where when you go out in october november and hit your place for the first time you know maybe think of one out of every two or three or four stands you're going to call in coyotes man it may be one out of every six or seven eight stands this time of year you know because you're just grinding them out because there's just less coyotes so but, yeah, and and then sometimes, too, you know, what I've experienced last few weeks is, um, you know, the weather's been unseasonably warm. You know, last winter we were dealing with all kinds of snow and just crazy winter at this point. You know, access was was really tough to a lot of the places that I hunt. Um, but this year, you know, we've had a couple little snows, it's been 50, 60 degrees. You know, I noticed the last couple of weeks there were coyotes that just were not motivated. Um, you know, they just weren't coming from long distances, you know, and that's, and there's really nothing you can do about that. I mean, there's no secret sound every now and then you can piss one off with some sort of coyote sound and that's usually my go-to anyway, but you know, yeah, I mean, you'll sit there and it's frustrating because the coyotes sit out there and and you really have two choices. When you see those coyotes do that, you know, you can say, okay, maybe I can get in closer to this coyote because if you can get in close and I'm talking two, 300 yards of those coyotes, a lot of those coyotes will come to the call. They just for some reason, you know, it's like they have this, I don't know, they 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 weigh the odds or something in their head, you know, however they do it. They don't think like us, but they say, ah, you know, it's almost like they said, ah, it's too pretty far. I'm I'm good, you know, I've been able to catch stuff. I'm not real motivated. Whatever these coyote sounds you're playing don't really interest me right now. So yeah, I'm good. I'm just gonna sit here, you know, and uh, and watch. But if you can get in close a lot of times those coyotes will break and come to the call. So, you know, that's really all you can do on those days is when you're out there calling and you're seeing coyotes just sitting out there, not really giving, you know, a damn about what you're trying to do. You just got to try to say, okay, how can I make setups to where I can maybe get in as close as possible where these coyotes are going to be before I start calling, just knowing that it's not one of those days where the coyotes are are running for miles to the call. But, But yeah, every now and then, though, you'll hit a spot you know, you'll get in on coyotes, um, you know, so yeah, just, just realize it's a grind this time of year, you know, we're getting close to making that transition, you know, period change here, you know, into January when, when the remaining coyotes will kind of start, you know, bulking up a little bit. I like to say, you know, bowing up, you know, getting a little more aggressive, you know, at least the older coyotes that are going to pair up and breed. Um, and that's kind of, you know, the keys that I go after there. So so yeah, it's been fun. Uh, boys and I just uh, hunted our my only contest of the season. Um, you know, this past Saturday it was a little local contest, um, just a fun one. I, I've gotten it in a lot of years. Just a lot of the ranchers and, and buddies I know hunt it, um, and it's it's almost like there was twenty teams, so it wasn't a huge contest. Which is nowadays is kind of what I like to do, um, just because you know the money's not going to be big. The, there's not going to be cheating. It's just guys going out having fun trying to kill coyotes. Uh, But it's fun for me because I'm always uh, a lot of these guys have their own ranches and things like that. So um, and, you know, I've already killed a couple hundred coyotes since October. So it's hard for me to save stuff clear late into the winter like this. So I'm scrambling, trying to find what I think might be our best chance. You know, of course, my boys are expecting the world, you know, that we're going to kill 20 coyotes in a day. uh, But that's just not the, the reality of it. Um, but, but anyway, you know, the, the weather was about as ideal as you can. So for me personally, that's always like worst case scenario on a contest day, even back when I used to do a lot of contests, if it was going to be like the most ideal calling conditions, I was, I was like, well, that kind of takes my advantage out of it because, you know, on the most primo days of calling, anybody can call in coyotes, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I always liked a little bit of weather. I liked a little bit of wind, um, just because some of the, you know, more new guys new to coyote hunting seemed to struggle with that uh, and, and, you know, just couldn't hit play and watch the coyotes run, and you had to have a little strategy and you had to have a little, uh, you know, plan put together to be able to kill coyotes. So, you know, nonetheless, this day was about as perfect bluebird, as cold, snowy day as you could want, you know, that we had had up to this, this winter. Um, but anyway, you know, we ended up killing six coyotes. It was the only six coyotes we called in for the day so a lot of times i base my success in a contest off of that more or less what place we get um you know it's just you know the place we we hunted just didn't have the coyote numbers that i thought it might Uh, we saw two or three other coyotes throughout the day so but uh, you know they were way out there a thousand twelve hundred yards plus but but you know we killed the six that came in um uh boys each got to shoot a, one or two coyotes a piece which was cool you know it was just fun kind of talking to them about contest mentality and strategy and you know going through the day we only got stuck once once again i there's probably one snow drift on the whole ranch that could have got me stuck and <laughs> i happened to find it uh so we wasted about 45 minutes digging it was bad it was like a five four or five foot drift i was coming down off a hill and got stuck in in on and uh yeah when you're going downhill and get stuck into a drift it's it's pretty bad so the truck was high centered we had to dig it out we got it almost dug out luckily the rancher came by he gave us a tug got us out of there and uh you know we we visited with him for a while and then went back to hunting but uh you know that's part of it you know you got to make sure you have the shovels thrown in there you know that's pro tip 101 right there you know when you get in the a tournament you get out there coyote hunting with our snow make sure you have a couple shovels because it'll save your ass more than once that's for sure but uh anyway but back to back to the contest i mean you know we ground. i would we did what we could um, uh, but uh you know i knew there was going to be good numbers you know 11 ended up winning it uh there were some nine some eight some sevens and, and 6, there was a, a handful of sixes and out of 20 teams we ended up getting 12th place um out of twenty teams, with six coyotes, which is pretty crazy, because six is actually a pretty dang good day. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of teams that had had really good days as well. So, but that was fun. That'll be the only contest I do this year um, with those boys. So, um, and like I said, these these one day day only contests are kind of dying. You know, everything's kind of going to you know twenty four hour contests and things like that. So, uh, it is what it is but uh, it's fun to get in one every now and then, but, uh, but yeah, you know, going to be back at it. Um, heading to Kansas here tomorrow. Um, going to be filming some thermal episodes out there at Rick's going to be, uh, doing some day, co- uh, daytime raccoon calling. So be uh, looking for those coming up here on the last stand. And then, you know, back at it this month, got a couple coyote classes, uh, some guided hunts, um, and then going to be doing one other filming trip, you know, later in the month as well. So going to be busy. So, uh, we'll keep grinding out these podcasts in between. So that kind of gives you a little update where I am. Um, but let's let's jump into these questions. You know, I went back through some of my Instagram posts and, um, you know, there was 30, 40 questions per post. So I, and obviously I couldn't answer all those. So I went back and picked a few more that um, were pretty interesting and I thought would be good topics to kind of talk about, especially this time of year. Um, so here we go. Um, first one. How much do you think barometric pressure and moon phases affect hunting? You know, this is something that that gets brought up to me a lot. Um, you know, back when I was filming coyote hunting DVDs back in like 2008 through 2012, I kept a call log. Um, but whenever I'd kill a coyote, I would I would mark down time, the date, the time of day, uh, the temperature. Um, and then I'd go back and look and see what the moon phase was at that point. If you actually ever watched those DVDs at the very end of each stand that we killed a coyote, I'd have the coyote craze call log and it would have temperature, moon phase, and it'd show you what that was and and all these stats of of that stand. Well, I did this for a lot of years. Um, you know, hundreds and hundreds of coyote kills I had. And, and you know, and I'd start looking back through. And I could never find any correlation to anything. And and now that I really think about it, what was I really even looking for? I mean, what if I would have found something that said, you know what? If the barometric pressure is this, we called in coyotes. And if the barometric pressure was this, we called in less coyotes. (laughs) What would I do with that information, right? Like how does that help us kill more coyotes? I mean, the only way that I ever thought that if I found anything or moon phase, right? Like, let's say full moon, I killed, you know, this amount of coyotes. and But when it was a new moon, I killed, seemed like I killed 40% less coyotes. You know, the thing about that is, is there's all these other variables that go into that. Was it just the moon phase only? Could have been the property you were hunting, you know? Maybe when it was a full moon, you hunted, you know, a crappy property. And maybe when it was a new moon, you hunted a, one of your better properties, Um, that could have simply been that. Okay. So then the moon, when it was a full moon, it was crappy hunting, but when it was a new moon, it was better hunting. Was it moon phase at all? No, maybe it had nothing to do with the moon phase. Maybe it was all about the property you're hunting, you know, um, that alone could make. So that's why it's really hard because your properties are never the same. The conditions are never the same. Um, so yeah, I, I've never really considered that, you know, um, for the main reason is what am I going to do with it? If I did, you know, am I going to stay home? If, if, if I told you that, Hey, next Saturday eh, barometric pressure is going to be this moon phase, going to be that your chances of calling in coyotes are not going to be very good based off of this. And that was the only day you have to go hunting in two week per- period. Would you say, okay, I'm just going to go, uh, ice fishing instead. Or, I don't know. You know, would you know, you probably wouldn't. You'd be like, nah, I'm going to go give it a shot and see what happens. You know? So for me, it's one of those pieces of information that is pretty useless, honestly. Like, what what do we do with it? Even if we knew, which we never will, I can tell you that right now. I mean, I know there's guys that use, you know, there's some apps out there as far as, like, deer movement and stuff like that with moon phases and barometric pressure. You know, it, more power, too, I guess, if you figured something out. Um But if you've done it, I bet you it's on a very small sample size. I mean, let's face it. I mean, most guys killing 100 coyotes a year. So you have a sample size of 100. And that's if you're killing 100 coyotes a year. um, So you're going off a sample size of 100 a year. That's not a very big sample size to start making big, massive assumptions uh, on barometric pressure, moon phases, and how it affects coyotes and things like that. So, but, you know, here's... There is one thing that you could potentially use if you think it is one of those days where for some reason the weather conditions, the barometric pressure, the moon phase is affecting the coyotes and the coyotes don't want to come to the call. Really what that means is their bubble has contracted. Meaning, and I've talked about this on previous podcasts, the coyote I I think has an imaginary bubble around them at any given time, right? And that bubble gets bigger or smaller by the hour by the day by the month it, it changes constantly and the bigger the bubble is the the farther the distance they're willing to travel to the call the tighter the more contracted their bubble gets around them the less they're willing to travel to the call so if you think it's one of those days that the coyotes just are not want to move they're not really caring whether it's night hunting day hunting it doesn't matter you know now you have to say okay I have to change my tactics. Meaning, I have to try to get in as close as possible to where I think these coyotes are going to come from. They're not going to come running from eight hundred, a thousand yards today. They're only coming to the call if we're setting up within two, three, four hundred yards of them. Okay, if that's the case, then you have to change your tactics. That's, I guess, one way we could use that if we knew it. Um, but you can still do that regardless, even if we know, right? If you're just having, if you're just struggling on stand, and you're like, man, these coyotes, and you're seeing coyotes sitting out there. Then you just say, man, this is one of those days these coyotes are not wanting to come very far to the call. So, A, I have to trigger, you know, try to trigger something very different in these coyotes than, you know, a rabbit distress or something would trigger. So, you know, my go-to is aggressive coyote sounds, fights, pup distresses on days like that. Because I've found over the years that you will piss off the older, more mature coyotes even on days like that when you trigger one of those territorials or parental social responses in a coyote, they come running from a long, long ways. And it's usually an older male coyote. A lot of times, even a female, but older coyotes, you know? So sometimes I'll specifically target those kind of coyotes on those particular type of days. So yeah, I don't know. Um, you know, even my sample size of calling in coyotes isn't very big. Honestly, if you're looking at like the scientific method and really how many uh, you know, samples you needed to really get a good judgment of 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 what's happening but you know that's my go-to i'm like you know what we can't control it anyway so let's just go hunt (laughs) that's that's really what all i can tell you there but i'd love to hear you know if you're listening to this and you've been keeping a log um about something um and you found something you know that that makes sense hit me up man shoot me an email uh i'd love to hear about uh what you've came, I might not agree with you. I might think it's a bunch of crap, but <laughs> I'd still love to love to hear what you have, what you've come up with, because um, you know I sure the heck have it. So, on to the next question. This one I get a lot of questions about this, and and even guys that come to my school, this seems like it's something that um, a lot of guys struggle with, and it's e call placement. Once you set on, down on stand, where do I put the e call? in relation to a, a headwind setup, meaning the wind's blowing kind of right back into your face on a crosswind setup. Um, so, you know, when I sit down on a stand, I always, there has to be some sort of thought process on where you're going to put the call. It's not just some random, oh, I'm just going to walk out there and set it down and walk back. No, you know, I always take, you know, a little bit of time, you know, 10, 20 seconds, and make a quick evaluation of of the setup and say, okay, hey, where do I need to put this call to give me the biggest advantage? Because rule number one, using an e-call, the biggest reason why we want to use e-calls with remotes is to get the sound out away from us, right? So, you know, distance wise, I think a lot of guys just question the distance sometimes. So let's just start with the distance before we start with actual upwind, downwind, where we place it. So distance wise, if I'll look at two things, I'll look at, you know, what kind of terrain um, cover that I'm sitting in, you know, do we have, do we have enough cover to break up our outlines? How well are we going to be hid? Um, is it real wide open, short grass pasture or is it thick timber? Is it thick brush, tall grass, sagebrush where visibility is not very good? Um me- and, and I'll look at that. So meaning if if it's not a lot of stuff to sit by, meaning I'm going to stick out, like the coyotes are going to see us sitting here, then I'm going to get the call farther away. And when I say far away, I'm talking 80, 90, 100 yards at some, some stands. The farther, the better, because now the coyotes' focus is all going to be on the e-call and not on us sitting over here in a very obvious spot, just because we have nothing to hide by um and where you're at you may think well that's ridiculous i have all kinds of stuff to hide by and that's true in some parts of the country where you hunt, there's all kinds of stuff to hide trust me you get it you get out into the west nebraska south dakota north dakota even in colorado some parts of that country and it's just short grass there's very few yuccas, no sagebrush no rocks no fences no nothing you're just sitting on a bare side of a hill with four inch tall grass that's it um, obviously, a coyote's gonna pick you out pretty quick, so that's when we're talking 80, 90, 100 yards away. Now, if it's thick cover, um, I have lots of stuff to sit by rocks, corrals, hedgerows, fence line, you name it. Well, now I'm not gonna probably need to put that call so far away from me because the coyote's not gonna peg us as quick. So, and a lot of times, that type of terrain, that type of cover is is more conducive to probably shotgunning coyotes anyway just because the visibility is not good so obviously when i'm shotgunning coyotes i don't want to put the e-call out 80 90 yards for me unless i have unless i have a designated shotgun guy that's maybe going to go out there and sit closer to the e-call um but if i'm hunting by myself let's say um i might have that e-call you know 30 yards tops for me if i'm going to be running a shotgun so that distance wise there's no set distance it's not i i don't walk it out there 40 yards every time or 50 yards some stands i may put it 10 yards from me some stands i actually put it behind me to get elevation so the call will carry out further depending off on if i'm in some real you know deep hilly terrain um and i don't want to put the call clear down in the bottom because the sound just does not carry up over the of the other hills as well so i'll actually put the call behind us at some point um, but yeah, the distance, every stand is always just a little bit different when it comes to that distance. But don't be afraid to walk it out there um, if you feel like you need to get, uh, you know, some distance between you and the call to, to make it so the coyote doesn't see you. Now, how do I place the call in relationship to the wind? Well, so let's start with a headwind stand. And that means basically the wind's blowing from the call to me. And then the, that the downwind is maybe back behind wherever I'm hiding you know, using some sort of, whether it's the hill, whether it's the tree line, uh, whether it's a can, whatever it is, I'm using that to hide the truck. That's probably where the truck, so the truck is almost straight downwind of where I'm sitting, if that makes sense. <clears throat> so distance-wise, like we talked about, you know, it could be 20 yards, it could be 90 yards. Um, I'll look out there, I'll look at that 180 of, of area in front of me where I'm thinking the coyotes are gonna come from, and then I'll say, okay, where... Where do I think the coyotes are going to come from? And that if they do come from there, you know, I really don't want the coyotes, the call, and me to be all in the same line. If they're coming in, because they have, that just makes it that much easier for the coyotes to spot me. So if that's the case. If I think, okay, the coyotes are going to come from the right, I may potentially purposely put my call off to the left of center. Therefore, when the coyotes come from the right, they are almost running parallel to me to some extent, running to the call off to the left. And that may be, you know, and that could be a a headwind stand. Vice versa, if I think the coyotes are going to come from the left, then I may purposely put the call off to the right and out in front of where I'm sitting just to create that same thing. So now the coyote's running from the left, looking to the right. I'm off on the side. The co- I'm never in that same line. I'm, it's never the coyote, the call, and me in the same line. Now, will it eventually happen? It it will, but it is something I consider and I take into consideration when uh, when I'm setting up. Now, when it comes to a crosswind setup, I do the same thing, you know. Um, so if I, I I make the same setup, uh, more than likely. You know, I can on a crosswind setup. You can usually see straight downwind to some extent. So therefore, the truck is parked back behind me. Um, Not, I'm not usually parked straight downwind on a setup like that. Uh, But when I get into my setup now, let's just say the wind's blowing from right to left. I don't always put my call on the right half of the stand, which would be the upwind half. Unless I think the coyotes are more likely to come from the downwind half, from the left half of the stand, because then the same concept comes into play. If, they're, if I think the coyotes are going to come from the left, I'll put my call out in front of, off to the right to help offset that. Where Now the coyotes are almost running parallel to me instead of straight at me, um, and it's kind of funneling them up out in front of me to give me a good shot. Or vice versa. Sometimes I'll even take the call and put it on the left, which would be the downwind half if I think the coyotes are going to come from the right, which is the upwind half to help with the same thing, to help funnel those coyotes towards the call um, and get them out in front of me so the coyotes, the call, and myself are not all, you know, end up in a straight line to where the coyotes are going to peg us. Now, a few other things I'll consider. um, The terrain, like when I'm hunting sandhill country and it's super choppy, um, you know, coyotes get on us quick. No different than you know that that choppy terrain really is just visibility. So that's no different if you're hunting thick sage, some of the stuff we hunt down in Arizona, thick timber, whatever it may be. You know, I may purposely take that call and put it in areas to where I can funnel coyotes into openings to where I can get sh- shots. Because if I have my full 180 out in front of me. I might not be able to shoot the entire 180. There may be there may be cover and vegetation and different things out there that, okay, I only have certain areas, little pockets, little openings out in front of me in that 180 where I'm going to get coyotes killed because the rest of it's so thick, I'm not even going to see the coyotes. So, okay, now where can I put that call in relationship to one of those openings? And at that point on a crosswind setup, I'll usually put the call towards the upwind side of that little opening knowing that if the coyote comes straight to the call or funnels downwind of that a little bit, he should end up into that opening, into that shooting lane I have, essentially funneling the coyotes into into areas to where I can get them killed. So, you know, it's it's really hard to explain it um, with just talking. You know, this is something where, you know, filming for the last stand, stuff like that, I try to explain on some of those setups of, of why I placed the e-call where I did. Even then, it's hard to, to really explain it. But, you know, diagrams on a whiteboard is about the best way to get this done. Um, but hopefully that gives you a little bit of an idea. Uh, there's no set in stone answer when it comes to putting the e-call other than put some thought into it. And, you know, think about where the coyotes are going to come from. Where can we get the coyotes killed when they show up? Um, and then and then put the call in a strategic position to to make that happen. All right. On to the next question. Communication setups. I get a lot, you know, when I'm doing Instagram stories and I have my little earpiece going into my ear, you know, and I'm making little videos, you know, talking about coyotes we're shooting. That's probably that has to be the number one question I get is what what do we use for radios? What do we use for communication? Uh, you know, over the years, I've tried a lot of different things, um, and I can tell you this: there is no perfect answer. Um, I've spent time talking to you know Motorola guys that deal nothing but Motorola radio sales for you know police cars and fire you know stations and stuff like that. You know, I've, I've looked at getting, you know, $600 radios um, to help with, you know, that communication factor. And, and bottom line is if you don't have line of sight, your communication is never going to be perfect. Unless you want to carry around a backpack with like a four foot tall antenna on it. Um, you know, when you're talking a four inch antenna on a radio, handheld radio, you know, if you don't have line of sight, it's going to be crazy tough. No matter how good of radios you buy. So keep that in mind. Um, so sometimes even when we don't have the best communication, we still have a little bit of something. Even if just some static comes across on the on the earpiece, um, it's just enough to give you a heads up like, oh, crap, the downwind guy has something coming, you know, or uh, the upwind guy, the call guy has something coming, and the downwind guy knows, okay, hey, you know, I need to pay attention a little bit more. I maybe mean, if you weren't, maybe you were sleeping on stand or whatever. Um, but, but you know, lots of ways to to hook these radios up. What I've found to be the best is, you know, I buy. I first off, I run Midland GTX radios. They're about, I don't know, about eighty bucks a piece. They have re- rechargeable lithium batteries in them, so I just pop, plug them into the charger, um, and one charge will last a full day of hunting, which is good. Um, And I got to make sure I put them on the charger that night or they end up running out about halfway through the next day. But but then the the little, you know, security headpieces that come with them, I really didn't like. So I went onto Amazon and bought some aftermarket security headpieces. And really all that is, is that it's got a black cord that plugs into your radio. And then on that black cord will have a little microphone with a clip on it. And then all I do is take that microphone and we'll just clip it up uh, next to our neck, like on our collar or our hoodie excuse me up to the, by the collar of our hoodie and it has a little push button on it and you just talk, you know, I mean, the closer you have your mouth to this thing, the more clear it is when it comes across in your ear. Um, And then from there, there's a little clear silicone tube that'll go up to your ear and they come with a little, just a molded little earplug. Well, the problem with those little molded earplugs are they rub your ears kind of raw. So then I go back on Amazon and I look for some silicone molded earpieces. And that's a a third piece to the puzzle here, so I buy those, and they come in like small medium and large sizes, and I'll just you know fit those up to the size of your ear they come in left and right um and yeah i so I pull the molded ear plug off that comes with that you know security headpiece, and then i I plug in the uh the silicone molded earpiece and then and you, and then that just sits in your ear you kind of it goes around the back of your ear kind of like you see on the the movies um And then at that point, you know, now we have a open line of communication because when you start talking about setups and stuff, using a downwind guy, if you're hunting with more than one person is pretty valuable in a lot of cases. So, but you know, the problem when you start spreading out is you do lose that communication. So having these two way radios is a way to combat that a little bit. And, you know, there's been days where I've hunted and, you know, we may kill, you know, four, five, six, eight coyotes. And the radios have saved us, um, you know, a coyote or two. To be honest with you, uh, just in this contest, um, on one particular stand, it was about twelve thirty. My oldest son, Creighton, he was covered in the downwind. He was about hundred and I don't know, hundred yards around the backside of this hill. I could barely see him sitting there, but I wanted him to be able to see kind of the the extreme downwind chunk of this stand in case something came out of this set of hills that was off to the downwind half. And then Carver and I were covering, you know, kind of the call, kind of the upwind half of the stand. Well, we had shot a coyote early on off to the, that came from the upwind half from the left, Carver did. And there was a, we had spotted a second coyote, I don't know, seven, 800 yards out, kind of coming really slow. wasn't really interested. So I had played a variety of sounds. I had thrown the book at him, trying to get him to break. Um, And then finally just switched to some lip squeaks and uh was kind of watching him and he was getting ready to leave and we had been on stand for uh, 11 12 minutes so i'm like you know it's it's time to go i said you know what though i'm gonna i'm gonna take a poke at this sucker so i was getting all set up to shoot this coyote or shoot yeah probably not shoot him i was gonna it, try a shot right uh it was 700 yards it was worth a poke um so i was gonna try a shot so i'm getting all kind of settled in getting things and all of a sudden across the radio, Creighton says. Hey, we got one coming up the fence at 200 yards. Well, if we didn't have radios at that point, I would have shot. And obviously, that coyote that was coming to the call, he would have ran off. So, anyway, I kind of readjusted, found this coyote. It came right up the fence, stopped. I shot it about 150 yards. We ended up getting a double on that stand. But one of those instances where radios, you know, really, really were helpful. You know, I know a lot of guys that night hunt, um, even when you're sitting close to each other. Um, they like to have some sort of communication, um, you know, headsets, because when the calls blaring and you're trying to whisper to each other 10 feet away, it's still hard to really hear what everybody's saying and, and what they're seeing. So, um, you know, I've, I've heard of guys using Bluetooth, you know, just leaving their phones on, putting in their earbud and just calling each other and having an open phone call while they're, while they're hunting. Um, pretty simple way to do that. You know, minutes are unlimited on your phone plans, that's a pretty good deal there. Um you know they make other kind of headsets with uh with microphones and things like that so yeah anything that you can find i think you're going to really like the the added value that that the communications are going to give you you know while you're on stand all right <clears throat> next question <clears throat> this one deals with sound sequences as, as we move into the middle part of the season and into breeding season and the specific question asked me, how do I change up, you know, my sound sequences? Well, you know, in reality, I probably use six six or seven sounds 90, 95% of the time from October through February. Um, how I use those six sounds varies a little bit. Um, but you know, I honestly do not change up a whole lot. Um, you know, I think some people may think I have this whole crazy new calling sequence that comes out once we get a little closer, you know, to breeding season, once we're starting to deal with potentially these, you know, pressured, you know, coyotes that are left, you know, in that second half of the season, not really, I don't, um, um, I guess the way I look at it is at any given point of the year, there's aggressive coyotes and there's non-aggressive coyotes for various reasons, right? You know, if you look at the the life cycle of a coyote, you know, early on, yeah. You know, October, November timeframe, you know, a majority of the coyote population probably is first year coyote pups, you know, 50, 60, maybe 70% of the coyotes in your area will be those six month old coyote pups, you know, as, as we progress, well, and let's just let me, before I move on from there and, and we have to realize that some coyote pups are aggressive. Some coyote pups aren't. So I do know at that time of year, there is a certain percentage of the coyote population that are aggressive. And as we move into the middle part of the season, as people start thinking, Oh, these coyotes are getting smart they're getting hunted pretty hard, guess what? There's still a certain percentage of the coyote population that are aggressive coyotes, regardless how smart or pressured you think they are. And then as we move into the later part of the season, guess what? The coyotes that are left, now some of these coyotes now become a little more aggressive if they weren't already, just because of the breeding season aspect now. So at any given time when I'm calling coyotes, October through February, there are aggressive coyotes out there. And that's specifically the coyotes I target. Those coyotes come in the best, you know. The aggressive coyotes probably aren't sitting out there at 600 yards looking at you and walking off. Um, You know, so my my sound sequences, uh, my approach to time on stand, all that stuff revolves around going after aggressive coyotes. So, so, for example, you know, if I had to give you like four sounds that I play a lot, and I'm talking 90% of the time, you know, <clears throat> I play one or two prey distress sounds. That's it. You know, TNT Cottontail and Lucky Pecker. And the reason I like TNT is because it's the loudest rabbit sound I think there is. Um, on the Lucky Ducky calls, as far as just the way it was recorded, the way it sounds, it's the loudest. So you take that sound and put it on max 32 volume versus another rabbit of like cotton ball or Section 8 or something like that. They're not as loud as TNT. That's why I like that sound. Nothing else, probably more than that. Um, I do like Lucky Pecker some days when it's not as windy. I do like the the higher frequency, the the higher pitch to that sound. So I use that from time to time, but I don't ever get into a situation where I'm like, "Oh man, it's got. I got to play this rabbit. Nope, this rabbit ain't working. I got to play this other rabbit." Nah, if your rabbit ain't working, you're the, the next rabbit you play is probably not going to work. I mean, it's just the nature of how how this whole thing works. So, you know, at a prey distress sounds, those two pray are my go to prey distress sounds. of the time, okay? Now, early on in the season, I will sometimes play that prey distress sound, you know, potentially a little bit longer, maybe a four, four minute mark, something like that. Whereas I get into later in the season, and now, like I just talked about, I'm dealing with aggressive coyotes for different reasons. I may not even play a prey distress sound at all. I think it's weird to me because I think there's guys out there that think it's not a coyote stand if you don't play some sort of rabbit or bird or some sort of prey distress sound. I think you'd be surprised the amount of stands from this point forward that I will not even play a prey distress sound. There's been lots of stands so far up to this point in the season where I have not even played a prey distress sound on stand. I've done nothing but coyote pup distresses and coyote fights. Why? Back to my whole original theory. (laughs) Excuse me. My philosophy of I am targeting aggressive coyotes. So, early in the season, when I get into those coyote pup distresses, you know, Schoolyard Brawl is that one of the original pup distresses that Rick put on the very first Revolution e-call that came out. It's still standard on all the pup distresses. That is my... That is the Pup Distress I use. I can't even tell you. I mean, if I'm playing a Pup Distress, I'm playing that one. 75% of stands I'm on, you know? Sig Kicking Ass 3, Sig Kicking Ass. Those are the other two. Between those three Pup Distresses, and, and, you know, like a Sig Kicking Ass 3 is maybe a little more aggressive, you know, it has a little more growling and fighting kind of in it. So you might consider that potentially a coyote fight to some extent. But I'll play those three pup distresses. If if I'm playing pup distress sounds, those three are getting played 95% of the time. If those don't work, here's the, here's the thing that I don't think a lot of, if those ain't working, I don't really know how deep you can go and find some other magical sound that's going to work. If those three don't work, I'm telling you, the chances of anything else working is very, very slim. <clears throat> you know, and then at that point, you know, I may go every now and then, I might play another sound, you know, Little Evil 2. For some reason, I like that one. Um, but, so, yeah, so there's really like my coyote coon fight. That gets a little more, if I want something really aggressive towards the end of a stand, if I have a coyote sitting out there, and I'm like, okay, maybe I could really piss this coyote off and get him to finally run in. Coyote coon fight is one. Um, but that's a sound like kryptonite is kind of mixed in there, I think on that one. So it's no different than that, you know, a sound like fight club. (laughs) Yeah. So you'd be surprised if you looked at my, my call, how I set up my thing. I mean, I mean, I have, I have four folders of sounds, five count my raccoon folder, but (laughs) I might have 40 sounds. I mean, I, I I don't have a thousand sounds on my e-call. I can tell you that because it's quite a bit of overkill having that much on there. It just makes it that much harder to get to sounds and find sounds and switch sounds when I need to. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I do not change up my sequences very much other than maybe I might finally just start getting rid of a prey distress sound this time of year, you know, and I've talked about before, I I'm just not a coyote howling type of guy. I've never have, I've never, I've never, you know, once, once again, it goes back to me targeting the aggressive coyotes, the times that I have howled, and have had coyotes come in more times than not. It's a slow, it's a slow approach. Yes. Have I had coyotes come running in hard after a few coyote house? Yes, I have. But in most cases, when I've tried to howl coyotes in over the years of, of trying stuff, it's been slow. And for me, it's like, no, I want to play a sound that gets the coyotes running fast to the call. And and for me, it's always been the coyote pup distresses and the coyote fights and And keying on and going after those aggressive coyotes. So that's my style. You may say, you know, in that that key you know, in that type of style that I have plays right into the time on stand that I sit, the volume that I play the call, that all ties together. and And that's you know i've I've done five coyote classes this year, and that's when we're sitting in the classroom portion and talking about this. This is really what we talk about. Is my style of calling? You know, what I mean, that's why people come to my schools. I'm surprised why you're listening to this podcast. You know, you're wanting to try to try to learn what I'm doing. Um, Is it the only way to do things? No, not at all. But it is the way that I do them, I and the way that I found to be the most efficient for killing the greatest number of coyotes that I possibly can in the amount of time that I have to hunt coyotes. And and really, that's what it boils down to. So. You may find, though, sometimes, hey, I'm going to sit here longer. I'm going to go to some coyote howls. I'm going to do some different sounds. I'm going to dig deeper in there. Um, you know, you may like to tell people you have a secret sound. You're not fooling me. I mean, there are a lot of people on in the Internet that are probably like, oh, really? What sound? What sound? If you, if you shoot me a question on Instagram and ask me what sounds are working right now, <laughs> pick a sound, right? Like, pick a sound out of the pup distress folder, pick a sound out of the coyote fight folder and play it. That's all you need to do. I don't get so wrapped up on the specific sound because it's it's not it's not a big deal like a lot of people think it is. Um, you know, so so yeah, maybe, maybe that's the way, you know, and what you might find too is you may find a happy medium for the way that you hunt um your style of of coyote hunting. Um, and it may give you something to, different to try. You know, I th- for some reason too, I, I, a lot of guys will try howling and they'll try rabbit distress, but they're hesitant to play the the coyote fights and the pup distresses. But then once they play that kind of stuff and they see some results they're getting, they're like, "Holy crap! Why haven't I ever been playing this stuff?" So, I'll tell you this: if if some guy made me a bet and said, Hey, I'm gonna give you one coyote, one you're going I'm gonna give you this e-call and you get to put one sound on it. And we're gonna have a contest. You and me. I'm gonna pick one sound to put on my e-call. You're gonna put one sound on your e-call, and that's all we're gonna have for the whole day. I would put a coyote pup distress on there. Schoolyard brawl off the top of my head. I, if I could only use one sound schoolyard brawl, no matter what time of year. And that ought to, hopefully that gives you some insight into, into what, you know, when it comes to sound sequences, you know, don't get crazy. You don't need to get crazy. Um, I will mess around obviously with two sounds at once just because I get bored sometimes, you know, uh, on the new super revolt. Um, I will occasionally venture out and try some new sounds, you know, but. I always go back to the the bread and butter. <laughs> and it, why do I kill more coyotes on those? Because I play them all the time, right? I mean, that's pretty obvious too. So um, so yeah, keep that in mind. If I was only able to pick one sound to use from October through February, what sound would be? I'd pick Schoolyard Brawl, hands down. All right, last question. I got this dang sickness the other day, probably the sickest as I've been in a long time. Actually, I actually had to go to the doctor, man. It's I thought I was getting over, it, but my nose is stuffing up as I'm talking here. So hopefully, it's uh makes it through one more question here, and and uh, we can get through this. But this is an interesting question. Kind of wanted to talk about this one. It kind of goes back to the moon phase and barometric pressure, but uh, I thought it'd be interesting to kind of chat about for a minute. The question is this: Do you believe that predators can somehow warn each other? I noticed how often crows come to hover over the call and then fly away making noise but keep their distance. Those stands aren't usually successful. Well, I do think coyotes, you know, can warn each other. I mean, there's a, why do they booger bark, right? We've all heard that, right? The coyote just sits out there and goes, you know, a coyote just going crazy way more barking than there is howling. And if they do howl, it's a real short, chopped off, sharp howl. Yeah, I think that's that coyote saying like, yeah, screw you. I know something's not right. Um, and uh, I'm sure, hopefully, other coyotes are probably paying attention to that. Um, I can't remember any instance where, I'm trying to remember if I've ever had a coyote that was booger barking and another coyote showed up and I shot it. Um, I've had coyotes booger barking to the point where I went, I'm like, okay, this coyote's booger barking. I got a my only chance to kill this coyote is to piss him off. Um, so going into some real, you know, hardcore coyote fighting and stuff like that, and I've got coyotes to come to the top of a little hill or in a little opening. I was able to shoot them. Um, but off the top of my head, I can't think of any other instance where, you know, I had a separate coyote show up. Well, another one was burger barking. So maybe that's the case, you know, maybe, maybe they do warn them. Um, do other animals like magpies and crows potentially warn coyotes? <laughs> I, they're, I'm sure, I'm, I know coyotes pay attention to that kind of stuff. I mean, there's the saying, you know, especially when you get out west, excuse me, into some of the sagebrush country and, and uh, you know, up in South Dakota and something like that, there's a lot of magpies. And, you know, the saying is, you know, uh, every coyote has a magpie, but not every magpie has a coyote kind of a deal. So you're always paying attention to magpies showing up because, you know, there could be a coyote with that magpie. Um, so I know coyotes pay attention to that. There are some guys out there that try to put bird sound like pro sounds and magpie sounds and play that during a stand. It's nothing I've ever done. Um, but, yeah, I don't know, you know. Once again, kind of like back to our barometric and moon phase thing, how do we use that, right? Like what even if we knew even if we knew there was some correlation there, what would we do? Like maybe we could get Rick to record a sound like like a crow all clear or magpie all clear telling the coyote, hey, this is legit. There's really a dying rabbit here. <laughs> I don't I don't know. Um yeah, I just don't know. Even if we knew, how would we how would you really use that effectively as a strategy, as a tactic to kill more coyotes? I don't know. It's all stuff that we always think about, right? Like back to the barometric pressure, moon phase, birds on stand. I think us as coyote hunters, I mean, if you're a coyote hunter, you will have way far more dry stands than you ever will successful stands. If you haven't, then you have not coyote hunted deer enough. So I think us as hunters, we're always, especially coyote hunters, we're like, we always are trying to justify why that stand was blank, why that stand was dry. You know, oh, it had, well, maybe just, maybe it's the moon phase. Maybe it's the, the wind. Maybe it's the, maybe the crow gave it away. You know, that's all stuff we use, I think, just to make ourselves feel better. Um, But yeah, I don't know. Once again, like I said, maybe, maybe if one of you guys are thinking outside the box more than I am on this, I'd love to hear your feedback if 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 you have some sort of tactic. Other than just playing, I know a lot of guys, I'm not talking about just, oh, I'm going to throw some magpie sounds on. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about specifically knowing, is that really helping us? Um, are we playing something that is... is is? Warning a coyote, if a crow shows up and makes this, you can't control whether a crow shows up, right? I mean, maybe you can just start shooting them all. (laughs) That would shut them up. But obviously, we don't want to be shooting, right? Because it's going to spook off most coyotes. So, how? I mean, if somebody has a tactic, that's what I'm curious about. Like if crows show up and they start squawking and making all kinds of racket and you seem to never call in any coyotes once the crows show up, does somebody have some crazy tactic they use to keep the crows away? You know, so that the coyotes do show up. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I want to hear because I I thought about this for a little bit and I couldn't think of anything, that, how we would ever use that as a tactic uh, for coyote hunting. So one of those things, but probably one of those things more or less, you and your buddy probably spend more time talking about from stand to stand because that's what I do when I'm hunting with guys. That's all the all the stuff that we theorize about and talk about. Oh, it must be this. I wonder if it's that. I wonder if this... You know, all the stuff that we'll unfortunately never know, but it's kind of fun to think about and uh discuss uh because hey, we gotta have those excuses, you know. So well that's that's gonna do it for this uh this episode. Hopefully uh gained a little bit of insight on a few things on on how I like to do things. Um, you know, as far as uh, you know, the e-call placement, communication, the sound sequences, and then something maybe to toss around the next time you're out coyote hunting with your buddies have a little conversation about barometric pressure and moon phases. Uh, you know, the birds talking to the coyotes, warning them, everything like that, you know, but, but that's all I got. Um, appreciate you guys listening. Um, as always, if you're looking for more information about myself, easiest way to to find that is to go to my website, which is CoyoteCraze.com. craze.com. Um, you know, a lot of guys asking about upcoming class dates next season um, you know, I do have a waiting list for the rest of this season and it's way deep. Once the season's over, though, I scratch that list completely clean. And then once those class dates are released um, next August, it is first come, first serve. So, the best way to find out when those dates are going to be released is go to my website on the home page. There's a, a subscribe to the newsletter, you just put in your email address, hit the subscribe button. And then once I come up with those dates and have those dates locked in in August I send out a mass email to everybody on that subscription list. So you'll be the first one to get those dates and then you can jump on uh, a potential coyote, you know, class next season, if that's something you're looking, looking to want to do. But uh, other than that, you know, that gives links also to the last stand episodes, you know, we're rolling right along North Dakota episodes are going to be coming out. And then we're going to, like I said, I'm headed to Kansas this week to film. Um, and, uh, those are going to be the, the, the season finale episodes that are going to come out in February. So they should be good ones to, to leave everybody on. Uh, but yeah, that has also links to my social media and everything there, you know? So, uh, you know, and then also too, if you guys are listening on Spotify, you know, putting a five-star review on there is huge, man. Uh, you know, I can't thank you enough if you've already done that, um, you know that's really how sponsors and everybody you know rate these podcasts and look at these podcasts is by your feedback. Um, they're not listening to these podcasts like you are. Um, they look at analytics like that and those five star reviews and the and the comments that you guys leave, whether it's on iTunes or Spotify or uh, Amazon Music, whatever, wherever you listen to this stuff, YouTube Music, whatever. Uh, but yeah, any kind of feedback, positive reviews that you can give me on that, man, I would I would greatly appreciate that. But obviously, without sponsors, we couldn't do this, so I got to thank them. We have Sig Optics, Swagger Bipods, Hornady, Lucky Duck Predator Calls, Silencer Central, Cryptech, Juniper Mountain Coffee, and Onyx Hunt, and of course, big thanks always goes out to Eastmans for putting this all together for you guys, uh, getting it uploaded, getting it edited, everything like that. Uh, you know, if you're looking. Uh, some big game information, looking to subscribe to their magazine, looking for some information on their tag hub, um, you can go over to Eastman's.com to find out uh, everything that they offer over there. But anyway, guys, really appreciate your time. Hopefully uh, you keep after the coyotes and uh, we'll catch you next time right here on the Eastman's Predator Pros Podcast.